It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome aboard. Thanks for tuning in tonight. The NHL inching closer to a return. Oh my goodness. It's like watching a snail race. Maybe not quite as slimy, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We'll talk about that tonight. Rob Brown's going to pop by as well. I'm really excited at 7.30. We're going to have Paula Finley on the show, Edmonton triathlete, who won a triathlon at uh, Daytona International Speedway on Sunday. So we'll see how her career has been going. She has been through some serious ups and downs over the last decade. So it'll be nice to catch up with her. We haven't had her on the program for a couple of years. I'm uh, happy to hear your voice as well or read your text and imagine in my head what your voice sounds like and trust me when you text the show i imagine to myself what your voice sounds like so remember that when you're typing it it's the same number for both 780-496-0063 you can also follow me on twitter at reed wilkins r-e-i-d-w-i-l-k-i-n-s and you can email me inside sports at 630 com. just a little bit of a teaser here i received a listener suggestion for a segment earlier this week and we are going to uh, have that on the show on friday and i think it's one that you are going to uh, appreciate and enjoy and probably be a, a little amazed by because i certainly was when i started looking into it but that's just a teaser that's all i'm gonna say it's kind of like the trailer for a film just dropped there and then you can you can see the film on friday or during inside sports that's sort of what's going on anyway my name's reed wilkins appreciate you tuning in tonight so the nhl board of governors met this afternoon now before we all get too excited and start planning our viewing parties for the oilers and listening parties because the games will be on chad and all that kind of stuff i can tell you that nothing was finalized pierre lebrun from the athletic and tsn tweeted out this statement Also, league said on the call that if all went well in season planning with the NHLPA, a board of governors vote hopefully will be held by the end of next week. So I was hoping, as as I have been for the last couple of weeks, that something would happen this week. I, I was actually pretty sure something would happen by American Thanksgiving. Well, that was two weeks ago. And that's why I say we are inching towards the start of the next season. And of course, look, I'm making light of it, but I know it has to be done safely. And we got a lot of things that have to be respected and people who have to be protected along the way. Absolutely. But uh, we are getting there. I'm totally confident there will be a season unless something massively goes wrong here, either with these negotiations or perhaps with the pandemic. But that's where we're at. But we do have a little bit of more concrete information we've been talking about it for a while and we've been pretty sure there's going to be a Canadian division. So that'll be interesting. It's a one-off for a year, all the Canadian teams in the same division. Here's what we can expect from the other divisions, according to uh, what LeBron reported today. 
and, and of course, this is subject to change, but it would be Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, L.A., San Jose, St. Louis, and Vegas. And I think just off the top there, you'd have Colorado, Dallas, St. Louis, and Vegas as the four big dogs in that division. Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, Florida, Minnesota, Nashville, and Tampa Bay. Uh, is it just me or do Tampa Bay and Columbus run away with that division? And then this one would be really interesting. Boston, Buffalo, the Devils, Islanders, Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington. That I think for the most part would be a pretty competitive division. So that's what we're talking about right now. And uh, the players association, the board of governors, hopefully going to vote by the end of the next week. So we knew we've known about the Canadian division. We've seen a lot of proposals, based on geography and most of them pretty logical on uh, what could happen with the American divisions. That's what we're hearing today. John Shannon earlier today on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer on teams playing in their own rinks instead of having hybrid bubbles. The hope, fingers crossed, is that everybody plays in their own arena. We're not in a bubble situation, but every team is able to play in their own arena. Winnipeg got, got cleared apparently yesterday that they'll oh, able, okay. be able to play in their own arena. Okay. Uh, the, there's only three teams now, right now, in the United States that uh, uh, can't play in their own arenas, and those are the three California teams. Uh, and there's a bit of a question in Montreal right now. There's a bit of a question in Montreal, but it's hoped that that will be easily resolved. Okay, so teams traveling, double, triple headers in other cities, that's likely going to be the schedule format. We'll see if they do 56, 52 games. If they start mid-January, say January 13th, so training camps start January 1st, 2nd, or 3rd, a little earlier for the seven teams who were totally out last year, didn't even get into the qualifying round, probably 56 games if they can start January 13th or just a bit after. So that's a little bit that we get today. The, the, the talks will continue. The one thing that has happened over the last couple of days, and Chris Johnston was on the show last night from Sportsnet, and we discussed this, and, and it kind of piqued my interest at the time. I touched on it a little bit. want to get into it a little deeper here, is that all those financial discussions they were having over the last two or three weeks about the NHL saying, well, okay, you have to defer more salary or you have to put more into escrow or a combination of the two. That's all been put away. That That's all been put away. So I, I want to get to this clip from Chris from last night, and then we'll, we'll discuss a little bit. So I said, like, how, how did that happen? How did that happen where this was such a big problem? And now the league has just said, okay, we're going to stick with the memorandum of understanding that we came up with in the summer. They asked for, you know, the salary cap to be bumped up in future years in, in, in a small way. I think 500000 each of the next two years was the ask. And, and essentially, the, the league, when they looked at it, they said, all right, we're not going to go revisit the, the CBA. We're not going to tinker with this. You know, thanks, but no thanks. We're just going to move on. And so, you know, this will be a storyline that, that crops up years down the road and probably in the next couple of years just because the players essentially have a large debt uh, as a whole to the owners. They, they've, they've taken more than 50% last year, uh, and that was part of the deal to, to save the season the way they did. They're going to take much more than 50% this season uh, just because it's another year without fans. And, and you know, I, I can't even tell you what that number is going to be, but it's, it's probably over a billion dollars that the players as a collective are going to be in debt to the owners, and, and it will be the focus of future CBA talks and those things we don't really want to get into now. But uh, I think ultimately the league decided... Uh, the players weren't immediately warm to the to the idea of ease and making this a little bit easier on owners. 
you know, many of whom are, are, you know, in a difficult cash flow situation. They haven't been uh, selling things they normally sell. You know, most markets, you haven't sold a ticket in almost a year now. Uh, I know those reverse retro jerseys are flying off the shelves, but, you know, for the kind of money an NHL team needs to operate, uh, you know, I think some owners are in a difficult spot. And uh, I don't suggest to you that, that there will be a few owners that won't forget that, uh, you know, they're asked for a bit of charity here. It wasn't met too kindly by the players. So, okay, guys, so, and gals, let's let's make a prediction here on December 9th, 2020. Are, are these the seeds for, for bad blood in future labor negotiations? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to be a bit of a pessimist at Christmas time and when we are getting closer to hockey and, and um, you know, we, we, we try to give you a bit of an escape from bad things going on in the world when we bring you this show every night. But, but is that what Chris is describing? Is that not planting the seeds for perhaps really, really bad blood in future labor negotiations. That there's been some asks here, there's been a little bit of maybe shots behind the scenes and taking offense at what's been offered or said from one side to the other. And is that now in the back of everybody's minds whenever we get to the next negotiations? And we're away from that, obviously. But Chris also made an interesting point that the players are going to wind up being owing a debt to the owners. So the players are saying, we're sticking with what was agreed on in the summer. They're going to get their salaries and that will be more than 50% of total revenue. So players who want new contracts in 2024 or coming into the league in 2024, they may have to play under circumstances where they're being told, Hey guys, uh, welcome to the NHL Players Association. It's a 50-50 split between the players and the owners. Oh, but not for the next four years because of what happened in 2020 and 2021. Uh, so this year you guys are getting 35%. So that, that, that very well could happen. And then when we get to 2026 and we're talking about a new CBA, I, I just wonder, I, I mean obviously a lot of players who are in the league now won't be there by then, but some will. And I assume most of the ownership is going to be the same because you don't see a lot of ownership changes at the highest level of pro sports. Are those owners going to be saying, Oh, Hey boys. Yeah, we sure, uh, we sure did you a favor to back in pandemic times. Didn't we? Well, guess what? Those favors are off the table. I'm just wondering if that's the discussions we're going to be having on inside sports in, uh, in years to come. Jeremy from Glendon writes in. He says, hey, Reid, uh, terrible for the NHL that an all-Canadian division will have no fans. Can the league implement pay-per-view games to make up for lost revenue or are the TV deals set? I yeah, I doubt, Jeremy, there'd be pay-per-view games. Uh, I, I think they would just kind of stick with the deals that have, that have had. I, have, I haven't heard anything about them bringing in pay-per-view games. Um, in terms of there being no fans, and, and again, I'm going to go back to what Gary Bettman said that how they start the season is not necessarily how they finish the season. Now, I don't want to sound careless or cavalier here, but we're obviously in a situation where we talk a lot about the worst-case scenario. I I do think just out of fairness, we can talk about the best-case scenario or better-case scenarios, that if vaccines start getting out to people, can you start letting a few fans in the building if, if they're vaccinated or you know that there's a, f- 
a family of four wants to come and three of them are vaccinated. Could they come in the like? I don't think we're going to see full buildings this year. But Bettman has said that in his earlier comments. Maybe we start the season without fans and we have fans by the time we get later into the season or into the playoffs. Just something to keep in mind. The NHL can definitely change on the fly here. We had to call a quick timeout. Inside Sports on Chet. Good to have you tuning in tonight. The Big L says, uh, hey, Reed, I believe I suggested that division format a couple of weeks ago. What do you say? Is it worth another canned ham? How many canned hams do you need, Big L? Well, Christmas is coming. Uh, The Big L does add, though, that uh, here is some fuel for potential bad blood CBA negotiations in the future. I saw on Sportsnet's webpage that an agent has suggested the NHL should allow a cap exemption to one player from each team. Imagine the potential trades that might follow Hoffman lining or Pacioretty in a Jersey near you, no matter what your most expensive player off the books. That is from the big L. Well, Patch, we're going to talk about Pacioretty with Brian blessing from the Vegas hockey hotline a little bit later on. That would, that would be quite an interesting rule. Wouldn't it? If, if, uh, if one player on each team didn't count against the salary cap. So all of a sudden McDavid's 12 and a half million just uh, isn't there and the cap number only applies to everybody else. I suppose it would, theoretically, it could help the teams with the, uh, with the better players, though probably what would happen is some owners or GMs would overpay for players and they would be the guys that didn't count. Then maybe they, they would turn out to be not very good. There's that's, that's an interesting general topic to kind of bring up big L about about salary caps, um, should there be exemptions if a player is with the same franchise for, say, five, six, seven years? Should should he be rewarded for staying with one team and should be the team be rewarded for keeping him and maybe only a portion of his salary counts against the cap? Uh, I mean, the NHL does have, right now, you can sign uh, your own guy to an extension for eight years, but the longest contract you can get otherwise is seven years. So that's that's a bit of a different rule there. But um, I, I can't see the NHL uh, doing that, but that that is an interesting suggestion for sure. Also today, Forbes announced its list of franchise values in the National Hockey League. I don't think the top five will uh, surprise anyway. The Rangers valued at $1.65 billion, Leafs at 1.5, then the Canadians, Blackhawks, and Bruins rounding out the top five. Those are the only teams valued at a billion dollars or more. The uh, Edmonton Oilers come in 14th on the list with a value of $550 million, uh, operating income of $16.9 million. Okay, so... Forbes has these numbers, but where are they getting them? How, how do they figure them out? Well, John Shannon explained that to Bob earlier today. And remember, these values are not, you know, how much money they made, even though there is a, a line item in each of them of, of who, who turns a profit, who doesn't turn a profit. Um, these are values of the franchise if they were elected to be sold today. But it's almost, it is like a real estate situation. It only, it, it, that's the number 
only if there's no demand. If there's a demand for a team, and we saw this, you know, quite succinctly in the NBA more than anywhere else recently, is then that, those prices will go up. Uh, you know, uh, you know the the New York Rangers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Montreal Canadiens, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Boston Bruins. You know, those are the top five. I mean, I I didn't need to go to Forbes to know those things, but those those are the top five. Um, uh, you know, valued teams in the National Hockey League, um, and, it, and it makes a, a ton of sense. I was what I was interested to know was that both the Rangers, according to Forbes, both the Rangers and Montreal made more money last year uh, than the Maple Leafs. Uh, upwards of thirty million dollars more per year, uh, which means that they would put a you know a, a sizable amount into revenue sharing for some of the teams like Florida that lost almost um, thirty million dollars and Arizona that it claimed lost just under twenty million dollars, which I don't believe. I think they lost more than that. So from that perspective, it's it's always a fun exercise to to read uh and and one of the things that one of the logical justifications is the the teams that make a lot of money in television uh are the are the best valued franchises in the game all right good explanation there from john shannon and according to forbes the least valuable franchise is arizona 285 million dollars so hey if we all pooled our money what do you think we could buy the coyotes move them to evansburg could keep the team name tons of coyotes out by the old Wilkins homestand north of Evansburg. They used to really irritate the dogs. Anyway, 780-496-0063 if you want to get in touch. We have Rob Brown coming up. We'll go to Vegas and bring in Brian Blessing and triathlete. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Paula Finley, it'll be awesome to catch up with her. All coming up. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. So the NHL Board of Governors meeting this afternoon, according to Pierre Lebrun, probably no vote until next week from the PA and the Board of Governors to get the new season going. Divisional alignment speculated on today, the Canadian division, and then the other American teams grouped together. I won't read those out again, but uh, yeah, that's that's where we're at. Still kind of waiting, but but getting there. We're starting to have a little more concrete things to talk about as we uh, as we move along. Uh, a guy I usually practically feel like we are living together at this point of the season because we're doing Oilers games uh, three or four times a week. And that's a good thing because I love working with this guy. WHL and NHL legend Rob Brown is on the line. Hey, Rob, how are you? Well, you're using that word legend uh, very loosely tonight, but I like it. Well, 
you're a modest guy, uh, but I do not think that there is any debate personally. And I'm not just saying this because I, I, I know you and I've gotten to be your friend over the years. I, I, I don't see how it's debatable that you're not one of the greatest players in Western Hockey League history. I mean, 212 points, 173 points was a down year for you in the dub. <laughs> Played two positions. Like, I... I I, I can't see how you wouldn't be considered one of the all-time greats in the WHL. I had fun in the WHL. I, I did. It, it was uh, a great experience. Played with great players. Played for great coaches. Uh, so, yeah, no, the WHL was fun. And I'm I'm one of those hoping that the, the world gets better soon and starts healing and, and, and the kids can start playing in the Western Hockey League and the AJHL. Uh, I hope the world ju- juniors get off uh, and get going before uh, – before it gets any worse. So, yeah, I, uh, uh, we're hoping that uh, the world starts to heal up and that we can see all these kids having fun doing what I was able to do years and years ago. Uh, I just quickly Googled because there was, uh, there was that poll uh, a few years ago where uh, fans and media could vote on the greatest players in Western Hockey League history, and you came in 21st, <laughs> which uh, you should be a little higher, but well, still... The- that was just, it was the thing that was silly about that one is it was based on kids that play or people that play in North Snogley, but a lot of it had to do with what they did after their career in the NHL. There was a few right. players that had you know half a season or one year in the in the Western Hockey League that were rated very high because they became NHL All Stars. So yeah, it was. Uh, I got actually. I have we got. Uh, a big plaque sent to us for that, and I got it somewhere down in my basement, hidden in the in a back room. But yeah, it was uh, it wasn't based on what the player did in junior; it was based on how good they became afterwards. That's where I dropped. Number uh, number one on the list, though, was pretty good in the NHL and in the WHL. It was Joe Sackick, who you would have played. I don't know if you would have played his team yeah. a lot because I think you would have been in different conferences. But he was basically the same time as you, uh, and he was. 293 points in 139 games. Not bad. I mean, he was about two and a half points per game. <laughs> I, I, I played against him in junior, but I also, we played in the World Juniors together in Russia. And how's this for a, a fourth line? Joe Sakic was on our fourth line with Trevor Linden. We had a pretty good team oh, that went over to Russia. Hey, it was funny. We had a couple of years ago, we did a, we had a reunion for the team that we played for that won. And they had a big screen where we were in the bar. We were watching and we had two or three power plays in the first period, and we were giggling because Joe Sakic didn't get on any of our power plays. <laughs> Turned out to be one of the greatest players in NHL history. But he, I, I believe he's a, I think he's a year younger than I am. And so he put, played as an underage on the World Juniors, and we were a very deep team and very fortunate to win. Uh, yeah, this is it's, it's cool looking at this list. Um, you know, Mark Recchi played for Kamloops and New Westminster. He's 23rd. They have Getzlaff 25th for his uh, years with the Hitmen. How about this Barry Beck, who played for the New Westminster Bruins in the 70s? This is like, I mean, it's the last time I looked at this list was when they put it out, right? And you and you talk about it, but it, it is pretty. Uh, it is a Jamie Ben, one of the more recent guys, Kelowna 2007 to uh, to 2009. So. It, it's pretty fun. And I mean, I, I appreciate that you always tell the stories from that year in your life too, because it was uh, it was a big deal for you playing for Hitch and uh, Nuge's Nuge 40th, who was a great WHL player. Marion Hosa, one year with the Winterhawks, is <laughs> 44. <Yeah. laughs> well, it's funny. To me, the, the reason it's 
there's there's a bunch of players I go through that uh, were miscast because uh, of their NHL career. Greg Hoggett, who was a good buddy of mine, played in Kamloops, should have been in the top ten easily with the, the the career he had in the Western Hockey League. I don't even know where he was if he's even on the list. I mean, he had 150 points, I think, one year of junior as a defenseman. He played two World Juniors, won a gold medal with me. So he, that players like that should have been ranked much higher when they had other players that were up there that were on just for for one season, and, and they moved up higher than they probably should have been. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hog is not in the top fifty. I just quickly did a did a search, but it is kind of. I'm getting distracted. I got to focus here. I'm getting distracted <laughs> looking at this list while I try to <laughs> try to talk to you. And I'm not sure, like, sure you you played and Sackick played in an era where it was just as likely to be 9-6 as it was 3-2, but still, somebody had to go out there and get those points, and you, and you were one of them. Well, it's funny you say about those kind of games. I had a kid that I played with in Chicago years ago named Mark Harding and just sent me a, a text tonight, and it was a playoff game between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, and it was the night that Ron Hextall chased me down the ice. And I always got asked why he chased you, and I kept saying I didn't. I don't know, and they said, well, because you celebrated after you scored, and I'm like, I didn't. I didn't celebrate at all. But he showed me, he sent me two clips, one from the goal that I scored where I got chased, that was the ninth goal, but he also sent me a clip of the eighth goal that I scored also. And after seeing myself celebrate the eighth goal in an 8-3 game, I now know why Ron Hextall chased me down the ice. Like I, I more or less did a moonwalk to center, a couple windmills, you know, I, I rode the horse, saluted the fan, shot my glove out of the air so now i understand so now one of the greatest mysteries for me is why he got so mad at me other than anger issues is now he was he watched me celebrate the eighth goal and he was waiting he might have let the ninth goal in on purpose just so he could get me well that's that's a good point so what was yeah I, i don't know how to phrase this but i think you'll know where i'm going what's the line for a player celebrating a goal and certainly in the 80s and and probably the first half of the 90s there would have been more fighting like i think nowadays even if you did excessively celebrate a a player would would get in trouble if he went after the celebrating player even if it was thought to be justified but did you like did you ever celebrate a goal and then think okay i might have been a bit of a uh a, a d-bag there or for lack of a better term like <laughs> well actually watching this video today i'm like oh i probably shouldn't have done that i made it eight three in the playoff game yeah i know that probably was a little excessive uh i i never did never at that time did i ever did you ever think that you're over i mean you were just excited about scoring a goal i think it was when uh, someone had a uh premeditated celebration where they were going to do something that they knew they were about to. I mean, you see it in football all the time where they have the, everyone comes in, it's almost like a scripted celebration for a touchdown. Uh, that was something when, when I played, you know, you guys did get beat up <laughs> if you over-celebrated a, a goal at the wrong time. And actually, Hextall chased me after that. The next, my next goal is probably the right thing for him to do. So uh, players were very demonstrative back when, when I played, or, or you noticed the ones that were demonstrative because... Uh, it, hockey was different than other sports. It was much more subdued. You didn't have as many characters in hockey as you had in other sports. So somebody that was over-exuberant was very noticeable. And Alex Ovechkin, I mean, Tamo Solani, when he shot his glove out of the air, you don't see that kind of stuff anymore, but the fans loved it. And 
when you score a goal and you do something and the fans get even louder, you tend to want to do it more and more. Rob Brown joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Okay, we're going to have a little bit of fun here. I'm going. I, I have your Wikipedia page open, which, by the way, has a really nice picture of you. <laughs> unlike horrible. the Hockey DB. No, no, Wikipedia oh. has a nice picture. Oh, Hockey DB yeah. has the awful picture. That's right. The 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 Wikipedia one. I think that's me in a Penguin jersey at. Uh, I think it might have been the closing of the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. You look like you're an esteemed gentleman on Wikipedia. So obviously, it's been airbrushed. Yeah, so they balance out. Well, one's maybe a little too flattering. One makes you look like a criminal. Yes, it does. Uh, okay, so let's let's fact check your Wikipedia page. First of all, Brown was born in Kingston, Ontario, but grew up in Saint Albert, Alberta. Are you fair with that summary of your childhood? Uh, well, I, I moved to Saint Albert when I was thirteen. I played two years of hockey in Saint Albert, two years of bantam, and then moved on to the Western Hockey League. So most of my childhood was in Ontario. As a youth, he played in the 1981 Quebec International Pee Wee Hockey Tournament with a minor ice hockey team from Oshawa. I did. That was, that was uh, honestly one of my highlights of my hockey career. I was playing. We played. We lost in the finals, I think, 3-2 to Mississauga. It's amazing. I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but I remember that. And our semifinal and final game, we were, I think we were 10 or 11. We had 15,000 fans. They, it was the old Quebec Colisee, and they sold out. Uh, the arenas for you. It was awesome. We used to sign autographs. I can still sing the song they used to have. They still have the same song now, the the Pee-wee de Carnaval. Lived with a French family, spoke no French. I remember when they said they wanted to take my family, my mom and dad, out for a nice dinner because we were all, everyone was in Quebec for it, and we all went to McDonald's for dinner. That was a big night out for us. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, I remember that tournament very, very well. Okay, so you were living in Kingston, but what did you get picked oh, up by? What was I know, the story? I, I moved. We, my father moved a lot. Every two okay. years we moved. So I lived before. By the time I was eighteen, I lived in like fourteen cities. So by that time, we were living in Oshawa. And I, one of my teammates was a guy named Jeff Daniels. Went on to play in Pittsburgh. Was this, was assistant coach with Carolina. So I think he's still around with one of the NHL teams coaching. But uh, yeah, so I was with Oshawa, and we had a very good team in Oshawa. And you were. Sorry, what position were you playing as a, at that time I in your was, life? I was a, I was a defenseman. Okay, so you were a defenseman. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Colton just wrote in. I did not know Mr. Brown played for the L.A. Kings. LOL. I had to go on Wikipedia too. Okay. First of all, Colton, trust me, you don't have to call him Mr. Brown. He prefers <laughs> Rob. Uh, second of all, he was an L.A. King. I think just for part of the second period. I think that's how short the contract oh, was. Well, I got. <laughs> I got called up to L.A. because that was the year there was a lockout or a strike. I don't know which one it was. And I was uh, they asked if I would go down to the minors to start the season while they were locked out. And I'm like, absolutely. And then they called me up after the team started playing again. The league started. And they told me to bring everything that I had from my place in Phoenix. I was moving there. So we moved my girlfriend and I, who is my wife now. We drove all the way up from Phoenix. All right, we unpacked my, my truck. It, a hotel room, you couldn't move in. We had everything in it. We went. I played one game. Had a, I thought a pretty good game. Went to the next game. They said, we're sitting. You're holding you out tonight. Don't worry. It's nothing to do with you. We just want to see this one player. The LA Kings lost that game 8 nothing. And then after the game, they called me in and sent me down. I'm like, how could I get sent down? You guys lost 8 nothing. I had nothing to do with this game. So then my wife and I took us about four hours to pack the truck back up and drive all the way back to Phoenix. And one of the funniest things, we got back to Phoenix. I went straight to the game. 
Phoenix was playing Vegas, and the coach, Bob Strum of the Las Vegas Thunder, was so mad at the referees that when they had a face-off, he told all his players to go to the bench and let Phoenix, my team, go in on a 5 on 0 Phoenix scored. The goalie for Vegas got so mad when they went to center, the five players and the goalie all skated to the bench, and Phoenix went in again and scored 5 on nothing again. It was... And I was mad. I'm thinking, oh, there's two free points, darn it. I, need, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Coach there's, just I, pulled I, the I players could, off. That's... I, could, I could give you hours of stories. I played against Vegas. Uh, Marty McSorley's brother, Chris McSorley, was the coach of Vegas. And in the minors, you, all the time, you're stuck with not enough players. And in a game, he played against Utah, which was one of the top teams in the league. He dressed himself. And in warm-up, he speared the other team's tough guy during the warm-up and then fought the other team's best, one of their team's best players and beat him up during the game while he was coaching the team. Wait, he didn't get thrown out for spearing the guy in the no, warm-up? Oh, no, because in the minors, that's, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he only had so many players. you got to make sure that you have enough to play in the game. He's the guy that when we played against him, and if it was a tie game with less than five minutes to go in the game, He'd send all his bad players to the dressing room. Because if you went to, if it ended a tie, you would have a shootout. And the way a shootout worked in the minors, you just went through your whole bench. Well, he would say that 12 of his players got hurt. So his first three guys would go, and then he'd get to go back to the first guy again. Meanwhile, we're getting into, like, number fifth, number six. Like, we're throwing, like, Jason Strudwick's out there. That's how desperate we are to get a goal in our depth chart and meanwhile their top score is going over and over again so he he knew how to bend the rules the the shootout was the entire roster would go yep you yeah, it wasn't you five rounds well, well you would go until, until you get i think it was the first three counted and then if it's tied after three then you just kept going and oh so, I see. so so we would keep going yeah so we would keep going and then our we our sixth seventh twelfth thirteenth player but he would only have three players on his bench. So if, they're, if it was still tied after three, he got to use his first player again. Because all the other players were in the dressing room injured. And, like, he'd go to argue with the referee. He said, yep, sorry, he said they're hurt. I'm like, he just sent 16 guys to the dressing room. But that was the minors. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. That, that's I, I love those stories about coaches that try to get around. The, was, was it... Was it Roger Nielsen that for a while told his goalie that if we pull you for an extra attacker late in the game, lay your stick across the goal line? So if they have a long dribbler, it won't go in, right? I think, I think, it, was I think it was. And it was, and it was Mike Keenan in junior. When they were up by a goal late in the game, they were shorthanded. As soon as they dropped the puck, he sent another player on the ice that was playing five on five. He just told his players not to touch the puck. When the whistle eventually go, they were down five and three. But as soon as they dropped the puck, he sent two guys out there. So another too many men on the ice penalty. But he just told the players not to, to touch the puck. So eventually they put a rule in that you, if you got a too many men penalty in the last two minutes of a hockey game, it became, I think, a penalty shot. But yeah, I, I, as soon as you put rules into place, one minute after that, everybody's trying to find ways to get around the rules. Yeah, I, I find that stuff fascinating. Well, thanks for coming on tonight. Uh, I was going to say I, I wish we had more time, but I think sometime in January we will. I don't know uh, how we'll be doing the games, but the one and you, Rob, you and I have talked about this before. Like, thanks for coming on, and I, I love when you tell the stories from your career. And as we know, the the Connor McDavid's of the world get all the headlines, 
but the depth guys and the guys who went up and down as you did it a couple times in your career have the better stories. Like 20 years from now, Connor McDavid's going to be like, Hey, I don't know. I got like a hundred points a year and got the heart trophy <laughs> and that was good, but we're going to be like, okay, you know, where's, uh, well, it's because teams can't say what he really thinks now because everyone's hanging on every word. All the other depth players in the team can say whatever they want because nobody cares right now. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, hope the family's doing well, man. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Take care, Reed. That is Rob Brown checking in, our uh, Inside the Game analyst for Oilers broadcast here on 6.30. Chad, one of the all-time greats in the Western Hockey League. Cam Moon, the play-by-play voice of the Red Deer Rebels, writing in and uh, saying, no doubt about it, Rob Brown, a Western Hockey League. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Big legend. There you have it. Inside Sports on Chet. As Rob recall it, he's with the LA Kings. I, I just double-checked. He did play two games for the Los Angeles Kings in 94-95. He played one for Dallas in 93-94. I can never remember which one he played one with, which one he played two with. It was two with the Kings. But as Rob recalls that he's with the Kings, they tell him you have to be a healthy scratch for this game because we're going to look at another guy, but don't worry, everything's fine. The Kings lose 8 nothing, and Rob gets sent back to the minors after the game. So I guess the Kings thought they would have lost 11 nothing if 12 nothing if Rob played. I guess I guess that's what we can read into that. Oh, that is a good one. 780-496-0063 if you would like to uh, get in touch tonight by calling or texting. Uh, Trucker Dave says, uh, love Rob Brown. Trucker Dave, thanks for that. I do as well. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Hope you're uh, hope you're safe and healthy out there, Trucker Dave. It's good to hear from you. Kellen Kennedy back at the 630 Chet Broadcasting Compound. Kellen, how are things there, old boy? Doing great. How about you? Do you ever go and just look at my desk and think... That's where Wilkie would sit. No, uh, no, nostalgia. Not really. I mean, I, I I raid your drawers for snacks, but other than that, that's it. Well, I I hope you're not doing that anymore because the snacks would be uh, several months old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I would just leave them if you do find any food in the area yeah, of my sure. desk. When was the last time I was there? It was uh, October, just over. What would that have been? A couple months ago couple for months the NHL ago, yeah. draft. Yeah. All right. We're going to go to Vegas. Brian Blessing is always a joy to have on the show. And triathlete Edmontonian Paula Finley's coming up. She won a triathlon in Daytona over the weekend. We'll catch up with her. All coming up inside. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.